Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to Joshua chapter 11. We're journeying through the book of Joshua together, taking a couple of more chapters this morning in Joshua chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can go grab one on the sides of the tech booth back there. Uh, that translation is the translation that I'll actually be preaching from. It's a good translation. If you need to borrow it, borrow it. If you need to take it with you, please feel free to take it with you. It's our gift to you. And if you have one of those Bibles, we're on page 187. Uh, we're in Joshua chapter 11. Had a conversation this week. Um, uh, we were standing in the hallway talking to one of the VBS workers who's up here, uh, just blood, sweat, and tears and all the stuff that comes with VBS. And uh, he was telling me a little bit about they had a family event that they had to go to recently, staying at a hotel, and the hotel that they stayed at, I'm just thinking they should have asked for an upgrade because they only had the full-size bed for the couple of them, for the two of them. Full-size bed, just in case anybody's with me on this, four and a half feet wide. I mean, you're getting really snuggly really fast. You know what I mean? Uh, if you're, how many of, how many of you are queen sleepers? Queen sleepers? How many of you are king sleepers? Okay. So this is a, this is smaller than a queen. Not a twin, but smaller than a queen. And so two people in a full size bed. And this is what he said. We got home and I laid down in our king size bed and I finally rested. Makes a lot of sense to me, right? Uh, today we're talking about, and ironically, the week after VBS, uh, we're talking about entering rest. Uh, so some of you, you go on trips like that and you get home, you're like, oh, finally my own bed. You just lay there. Uh, we're talking about entering into rest this morning, and we're going to see this at the end of chapter 11. And so again, if you have your Bibles there in chapter 11, I want to start out in verse one and really just try to highlight actually just a couple of verses along the way as the narrative unfolds. Um, we'll talk about kind of the story that happens, but as the narrative unfolds, just highlight a couple of verses starting in chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 11, verse one. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he said to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph. Does that sound like a town up in East Texas? Anybody? Where are you from? Akshaph. Oh, okay, good. And to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah, south of Kinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Naphoth-dor on the west, uh, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hamon in the land of Mizpah. Here's the, here's the kicker, verse 4. All of this crew, and they came out with all of their troops, a great horde, in number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. And all of these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. So let me just set up briefly this, this issue. Uh, you know, Joshua, they've crossed the Jordan, Jericho. They've done Jericho. They fought at Ai and lost. They fought at Ai and won. Um, uh, they've defeated the five kings who rallied together and it got, the word got around, right? And so these kings, they rally all the troops that they can rally. They call their cousin Bob and they call Fred, the long lost uncle, and they call everybody that they can and say, we got a problem here. Everybody needs to come in. And so they did, they, they got everybody together and they're camping here at this area. And the Bible says that they are like a great horde. That's what happened at VBS this week. We had a great horde, like sand on the seashore. We couldn't contain them all, right? And this, this is what they're facing. And I, I'm trying to paint that picture uh, because you've got 
all of these kings. I mean, just king upon king upon king with <clears throat> uh, uh, city upon city upon city with warriors upon warriors upon warriors and chariots upon chariots upon chariots with horses upon horses upon horses that have gathered together. It is a great horde and it is like the sand on the seashore. And that is the situation that Joshua faces. He's crossed the Jordan. He's stared down Jericho. He's lost and won at AI. He's beat other kings. And now he is looking at a number of troops that he has never, ever, ever faced before. With chariots and horses and stuff. That's the situation. And what do you think God says to Joshua in that moment? What has he said all along to Joshua in that moment? Don't be Afraid. That's verse 6. Look. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow, at this time, I will give over all of them slain to you. and to, Excuse me, to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses uh, and burn their chariots with fire. That's the first thing. Don't be afraid. As the story unfolds here, first marker, if you will, of this story is do not be afraid. Front of the book, Josh, uh, God looks at Joshua and says what? Don't be afraid. He stares down Jericho. What's he say? Don't be afraid. Uh, AI, the second time, don't be afraid. Five kings, don't be afraid. Over and over and over again, God is saying, don't be afraid. And he, now as he stares down more soldiers and more horses and more chariots and more kings and more cities and more warriors, and all, he looks at him and says, don't be afraid. There, there is still, there was was still a battle to fight, but God had already declared victory over this thing. And so when he speaks and he says, don't be afraid, there's, there's two reasons why he would say this. Number one, God is bigger than our enemies. God is bigger than our enemies. I want to point this out, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, make too much of this. I want to make enough of it, though. Verse 6, and the Lord said to Joshua, now do you see Lord there? Does it look a little funny in your Bible? It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You see that? Everybody looking at verse six and seeing that? When you see in the Old Testament, capital L-O-R-D, I mean, you know, all caps there, Lord, that's the proper name for God, meaning that's Yahweh, or uh, some of you grew up, or if you grew up around church, older um, uh, folks, Jehovah. It's the proper name for God. The translation is something along the lines of I am. When Moses is at the burning bush, who am I going to say? Who am I going to? I mean, I'm supposed to go to Israel in Egypt and God, who am I going to say sent me? Oh, just tell him I am sent you. Pretty awesome, right? I mean, that's like I am. This is what God is. This is what he said about himself. He's declaring that he's not dependent upon anyone. He is not uh, uh, hanging on, just kind of waiting around. He is not uh, in existence because of somebody else. Indeed, he is the one who has created everything. Everything else holds together in him. And so when the great I am says, hey, don't be afraid of them. I got this. Joshua has a reason to believe that that's the case. God is bigger than our enemies. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're facing, the, the emotion and the spiritual condition that comes out of that feels something like and looks something like hope. And some of us are facing some serious stuff. Some of us have anxiety things, that, I mean, issues in our world that, that create anxiety in us. And God looks at us and says, don't be afraid. Instead, have hope. Some of us look at our world situation and there's a lot to be there's a lot to be concerned with in the world right now. Everybody with me on that? 
God, there's a lot to be concerned with in the world right now. And he looks at this situation. And he says, don't be afraid. You should have hope instead. I, I am the Lord. And I'm saying, don't be afraid. Have hope. I'm bigger than anything that you're facing. Uh, some of you got calls, maybe even this week, from doctors said, uh, hey, we need to come in and have a conversation. God's bigger than any sickness that you're facing. Anything that you're staring down, that your body is doing that it's not supposed to do or not doing that it's supposed to do, God's bigger than that. Uh, God's bigger than any addiction that you may be struggling with or any problem that, that may have a hold of you, have its talents kind of locked onto you. And you think to yourself, I've dug myself such a deep hole. There is nothing but darkness down here. And, and God is saying in the middle of that, I'm bigger than that. Have hope. Have some hope. I am the Lord. And I'm saying, don't be afraid. Some of you are facing job situations or financial struggles. And God's saying, uh, I, don't be afraid. And you're thinking to yourself, don't be afraid. God, I don't even, how are you? I'm not sure if you're going to see me through, much less uh, uh, how you're going to see me through. How, how is that? And God says, don't be afraid. Have hope. I'm bigger. I am bigger than anything that you're facing. Some of you are facing relationship things, things that are just rocking your world as in, in the people that you're connected with. Maybe it's your fault, maybe it's theirs, maybe it's somebody else and you're just concerned. God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Have hope. I, I am bigger than any relationship thing. For some of us, the biggest person, excuse me, the biggest struggle that we have in terms of don't, not being afraid and, and in terms of uh, having faith that God is bigger than is the person that we look at in the mirror. Sometimes I'm the biggest problem. And so what, is, what does God say? God's bigger than your enemies, even when the enemy is your, yourself. No matter what you're facing, God is bigger uh, than your enemies. And secondly, God has a plan for victory. So look back in verse 6. Uh, Don't be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time, I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring the horses, burn the chariots with fire. God has a plan uh, for victory. He's going to give them all over. In this particular case here in Joshua chapter 11, here's the thing. God was going to use their pride, the pride of all of these kings, um, to harden the hearts of all of these kings so that all of the people would come out and they would make war against Joshua and they would receive the just punishment that God was going to do. Look down in verse 20. Uh, for it was, excuse me, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and receive no mercy, but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Joshua. God was leveraging their pride. He was, this pride had taken over their world and God was leveraging that so that they would come out in all of their pride and receive, uh, receive the just punishment that was due them. Can I just say pastorally? Let me just say personally, and let me say pastorally. That should be a tremendous warning for you and for me against pride in our own lives. Pride in our own lives has the capacity to harden our hearts against God. And when our hearts harden against God, man, that's bad news bears right there. So James says this in James chapter 4. Peter repeats it in 1 Peter chapter 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, just real carefully with me, some of you English people can help me out. God opposes. Opposes, is that a past tense word? Future. Future? What, what tense is that? 
It's a present tense. So right now, in this very moment, the pride that exists in my life, God is standing against. Do I want to pick that fight? Do you? God is standing against the pride in my life. And so it serves as a great warning. These kings for me this week, I just, they serves as a great warning for you and for me. Hey, let's not be a people who are proud. Instead, as, as first Peter and James both say, humble yourself, humble yourself before God. In, in Peter's case, he says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up in the proper time. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he was going to use Joshua uh, to bring his plan to fruition. This is all part of it here. Look at verse 7. And so Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them uh, by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. And they struck them uh, and chased them as far as Great Sidon and Misrath Maim and eastward as far as the Valley of Mizpah and so forth and so on. So God was going to use Joshua to bring his plan to fruition. And guess what? He wants to use us too. Wherever there's darkness in the world, just so we're clear, is there darkness anywhere in the world? Let's bring this down. Is there darkness anywhere in your world? Guess what? The Bible says you are the light of the world. And so wherever you see darkness in your world, guess what? You get to step into that and bring light to a dark situation. As a church family, I'll just give you a brief example of this. We're going to, I think, have some details next week. For everybody, uh, some of you know, you know, we've got a partnership with Wedgwood Elementary. In fact, one of our um, w- one of our folks is going to be in the administrative staff over there starting this next year, <clears throat> and uh, they've got these kids over there who cannot afford school supplies. That's darkness, folks. I don't know how else to say that. That's darkness. And so, what are we as a church to do? Sit back and go, "Gee, I hope something works out for them." No, we look at that and we go, "They need some school supplies." We can figure out how to get some school supplies to them. So in the next couple of weeks, you'll be hearing more about how we're targeting uh, uh, these specific group of needy kids and maybe, maybe even some in our own church here who need some school supplies and we get to step out and be light in that darkness. In your world, there are situations relationally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, um, uh, in, in some other way, circumstantially, where the darkness seems to be creeping in and, and locking on. And God says to you and to me, hey, you're the light of the world, right? Yes, sir. I'm the light of the world. Step into that then. I want to use you to accomplish my plans, just like I use Joshua to accomplish my plans. So in this moment, this is where I, I go. I go like this. Uh, okay, God, but that sure seems like a lot. I mean, that's a lot. You sure? The entirety of chapter 12 for me is written to answer that little piece of doubt right there. So we won't read the names here, but can you just look at chapter 12 for me very briefly? See, this is my Bible right here. And at the top, here's chapter 12. And at the top, it's got a little heading. Do you see the heading? What's your heading say? Kings defeated by Moses. Okay. And then uh, a little further down in mind, this is still chapter 12. There's a, there's a break and there's another heading. Does anybody else have another heading? In mine, it says kings defeated by Joshua. So I've got a list of kings defeated by Moses and a list of kings defeated by Joshua. Guess what? If you need the reassurance to not be afraid because God has God is bigger than our enemies and he has a plan for victory. Here's chapter 12. And you know what it says? God's never lost. Yesterday. We had a momentous event at my house. <clears throat> my, as we're beginning the wind down time in our 
in our world um, Saturday evening, uh, my 11-year-old looks at me and says, hey, Dad, we got enough time to play a board game. You want to play something? Sure, let's play something. You want to play chess? He's, he's no grandmaster. Let me just say that. But he's been at this longer than me, and we've played 12 times, he and me. And I'm 0 for 12. My 11-year-old has smoked me in chess 12 times. I don't know the names of the pieces. I forget which one goes two up and one over and which one goes diagonal. I mean, I forget all that. Every so often I have to ask him. So this one can go there. Is that right? No, no. Oh, okay. Oh. 12 times. Yesterday... In a moment of sheer and unbelievable strategy and incredible luck. He left his king open. And my guy was in the right position. And I moved my little guy that only can go front and back or side to side. Whichever one that is. Don't worry about telling me now because I won't remember it anyway. And I moved him up and I knocked his king off. And I mean, I dropped the mic and went like this around his room. Parading like a peacock. And he was something along the lines of, I can't believe you just beat me, Dad. (laughs) One for 13. That's me, though. I'm on a winning streak. One for 13. And God's batting percentage is a lot better than mine. In fact, he's batting a 1,000. He has never faced an opponent that he is not bigger than, and he doesn't have a plan for victory. So no matter what you're facing in your life, God's bigger than that. And he has a plan for victory. And just in case you need reassurance, read chapter 12. He's never, ever lost. He's never lost. Second thing comes in the middle of chapter 11 here. Look at verse 9. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord had said to him. He hamstrung their their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And then skip down to verse 15. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Here's the second part. I mean, if the first part is don't be afraid, second message out of this story is this. Be obedient in everything. Be obedient in everything. Everything. Just to be clear here before we try to unpack this a little bit, uh, God doesn't need our obedience in this sense. He's not up there twiddling his thumbs or grasping his hands or wringing them going, gee, I hope they come through for me here. That's not what he's at. You remember the last war story we looked at? Uh, God, God threw down hailstones on the enemies. That was not Joshua's doing. So God doesn't need us in that way. But what he does when he invites us into obedience, he's inviting us to participate in what he's doing in the world. In this case, Joshua got to participate in the Lord's victory uh, over his enemies and over these people um, who just had committed these heinous sins, these Canaanites. It allows us to participate. And furthermore, obedience shows that we can be trusted. When we are obedient in small things, uh, God will say, hey, to us, hey, I can trust you with some more. And when we're obedient in those things, oh, I can trust you with some more. And when we're obedient in those things, oh, I can trust you with some more. And so it allows us to participate in what he's doing, and it shows that we can be trusted. And so um, here's just some statements under this, be obedient and everything that I was thinking about in terms of Joshua. First of all, when it's easy, be obedient. When it's easy, 
be obedient. Are you grateful for the moments when it's easy to be obedient, when you like look at the two roads like, hey, that's a road. It doesn't look very easy. This is a road looks much easier. Oh, this is the road of obedience. This is what I'll do. Sometimes it's very easy to be obedient because the choices are just that clear. I'm grateful for those moments. I'm grateful for those because it makes sense then at that point to go, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, the deceitful part is when the road looks easier the other way and it doesn't look as easy this way, but Jesus is very clear. Um, you know, the only cost higher than not, uh, excuse me, than following him is the cost of not following him. And so the easy road is always the road of following. So when it's easy, whether it appears easy or not, be obedient. Secondly, when it doesn't make sense, be obedient. Now, this is the truth. I thought about this and thought about this and thought about this. And I tried to find some stuff that would help this make sense, but it doesn't to me. Um, hamstring their horses, burn their chariots. Why in the world would God command this? Here's my best answer. I have no idea. I mean, I genuinely have no idea. I mean, if I'm Joshua, I'm going, Hey man, these war horses are pretty strong. We could probably use those in the next battle or at the very least, Hey, these war horses are pretty strong. I'm sure there's some fields that need to be cleared of rocks. Can't we like tie them up to the rock and just pull them? Like, couldn't we do that instead? Instead, God says to do this differently. I don't know why in Joshua's case, that doesn't make sense. In my case, sometimes God asked me to do some things that don't make sense. Like bless those who curse you. Come on, God. Forgive those uh, who, who um, have, have sinned against you. How does that make? Even when it doesn't make sense, be obedient. Thirdly, even when it's unpopular, even when it's unpopular, be obedient. As the world continues to go the way that the world is going to go, the contrast between what is darkness and what is light, what is false and what is true, what is ungodly and what is godly, the contrast will become more and more and more stark. And guess what? As we live out our obedience, it will become more and more and more unpopular. When it's unpopular, be obedient anyway. There are norms and mores that the culture is trying to push upon uh, every person, much less uh, Christian people. And so it's going to be unpopular. Be obedient anyway. Fourthly, when it means sacrifice, be obedient. At some point, obedience will cost you something. That's part of it. Be obedient anyway. Jesus said stuff like this. Um, Whoever wants to keep his life should do what? Should lose it. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's sacrifice. That's part of it. Uh, how about this one? Uh, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And he looks at him and says, hey, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what does it say? And it say, here's what it says. They drop their nets, but they were first like, hey, you know, Jesus, I got a meeting at 2.30. So can we hang on? No, no, what's it say? Immediately, they drop their nets and follow they left their security, all of these kinds of things to follow. Even when it means sacrifice, be obedient. And lastly, when it exposes your weaknesses, be obedient. This is very autobiographical here. I was thinking about this. It, even this week, had a couple of situations come up where the weaknesses that are in my life uh, that was the point of struggle for obedience. And sometimes God says to you and to me, hey, do this. And we're like, I am not. That is not like 
that's not me. That's, I can't. Even when it exposes your weaknesses. I don't like having my weaknesses exposed. Anybody with me on that? Even when it exposes your weaknesses, uh, be obedient. Even when you say, hey, listen, you know, you don't do this well, or you, you can't do this well, or, or th- step out, step out and be obedient. Even when it exposes your weaknesses. Lastly, don't be afraid, he says, and be obedient in everything. And lastly, God's leading us somewhere, and that's to rest. Look down at verse 21, Joshua 11, verse 21. We've got a couple of verses here. And Joshua came at that time, and he cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from the hill country of Judah, and from the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. Just a little Bible trivia here. Uh, Goliath was one of the Anakim. He came from what city? From Gath, right? And so you've got uh, Joshua pushing these people out of the land of Canaan to other areas. Verse 23. So, (coughs) So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. The land had rest from war. So here we go. Just trace this with me very quickly. People are in captivity in Egypt. God delivers them by the hand, by his right hand of power, the Bible says. He delivers them. Ten plagues, the whole thing brings them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, sustains them while they're in the wilderness. They rebel against God and still He chooses to sustain them for 40 years until that rebellious generation died off. They get to the edge of the promised land. God again holds the water of the Jordan back, brings them into the promised land under Joshua's leadership, defeats Jericho. The the, the battle at Ai that went poorly was then uh, redeemed um, as, as in the second battle of Ai that went well. Okay, and then you've got the defeat of the five kings and the, the, the peace, uh, covenant of peace with Gibeon uh, and all the deceit that was involved there. And you've got the defeat of the five kings. And then you've got um, this, this defeat of this incredible horde here in Joshua chapter 11. And the land had rest from war. God was leading them all the way back from the exodus in Egypt. 40, 45 years worth of leading. He's leading them through all of these events, through all of this stuff, through all these steps and missteps. He's leading them. He's leading them. He's leading them. What's he leading them to? He's leading them to to rest. And the land had rest from war. There is nothing in this story all these chapters that we've gotten through so far and all the ones yet to come, there is nothing that happens that is aimless or purposeless. Everything that Joshua has gone through, everything that he has endured, all the positive things that have happened, all the negative things that have happened, all the good and all the bad, all the uh, triumphs and all the tragedies, all of that, all of that happens with an aim, with a purpose. And if it's true in Joshua's life, you know who else's life it's true in? It's true in yours. It's true in mine. 
There is nothing in my life, there is nothing in your life that happens that is aimless or purposeless. And here's the thing, even if you think, oh God, there is no way this is right or good or whatever, like this is not... What is God going to do with that? What does he promise to do with that? He is going to take that event, whatever it may be, how dark it is, how ugly it is, how horrible it is, how tragic it is, how terrible it is. He's going to take that thing and do what? He's going to redeem it. There is nothing that happens that is aimless or purposeless. And secondly, what we will be able to say when finally we come into a land of rest Like Joshua did, we will be able to say this. What is not right will be right in the end. We will be able to say what is not right will be right in the end. There's a, the author of the book of Hebrews picks up on this passage in Hebrews chapter four. So turn, turn to the right, quite, quite a few pages here. Turn to the right here to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter four. And I just want to, Talk about this rest thing for just a moment more. Joshua, excuse me, I'm looking at Joshua. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So just pause here. Did Joshua give them rest? Yes, the land rested from war. But was that the full rest that God wanted to bring? No, not at all. And so here's what I want to tell you about this. Rest, the rest that he's talking about here, it's not fully ours yet. Again, verse 8. For as Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Um, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What Joshua tasted, Jesus uh, is offering to us in its fullness. And I'll just give you an example here. Just try to illustrate this. Uh, Anybody like to go to the Froyo places, frozen yogurt? You got any frozen yogurt fans in here? Count me in on that deal. Uh, Whenever we show up, the frozen yogurt people are like, I'm not sure if this is blessing or curse with all you people walking in. We inevitably, even though we go basically to the same places, the kids have to taste test like most of them. Anybody with me on that? So you get the little medicine cup, you know, the little bitty, about that big around, about the size of a quarter, about that tall. You get the little cup thing, and what do they do? They go through, you know, and just put a little dollop there and taste it. Put a little dollop there, taste it. Pink, blue, orange, whatever. They just try them all, right? If you're a college kid, you do that and try to get full on it, right? I mean, like, that's how that goes. As it stands, though, occasionally, I, you know, somebody in our family has to call the, look, you've tasted everything in here twice, pick one, you know? Because the entire point of the taste test of that little dollop and the little medicine thing is what? So that you look at something and you choose it and you go, I want that. Like the whole point of that is to put that little white chocolate or orange dreamsicle or whatever your thing is, you put that on in your mouth and you're like, bing, 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 winner, winner. That's the one that I want right there. Give me the whole cup of that. You know, let's get this thing. I want that. What you taste, you want to experience in fullness. And that's rest. Joshua brought the people to the land and it rested from war. And that's just a taste. That's just a taste of what God is actually 
offering. That's why he says in verse 10, excuse me, verse 9 of Hebrews 4. So there then, then, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. God is offering something so much better and so much more than um, rest from war. He's promising us a kind of rest where we get to rest like God is resting from his works. When we step out of this life and step into eternity and into God's presence forever, man, we won't be worried about all the things that we're worried about right now. We won't be toiling in the ways that we're toiling right now. We get to spend forever with him. We get to be at his right hand where there are pleasures from forevermore, the psalmist says. We get to be in the, in the fullness of joy that he has for us. We get rest. That's what he's offering. He's offering to you and me, rest is not fully ours yet. We get this taste of it here. But he's, that's supposed to help us kind of fuel, if you will, our taste buds so that we go, that's what I want right there. That's what I want. Give me that, God. Give me that. Let me have that when I step out of this body and into the next life. Verse 10, for whoever has rested, has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did for him. So rest the kind of rest that he's talking about here is not fully ours yet. He keeps using this word today, and this is just backing up to verse 6 here. Back up to verse 6 in Hebrews 4. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it. That's you and me. We, we haven't entered God's rest fully yet. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, quote, Today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So just try to walk this through very quickly. He's talking about Psalm 95, where David says today uh, you can enter the rest of God. Um, <clears throat> today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, you can enter his rest instead. And, and Joshua, uh, excuse me, the writer of the Hebrews argument is this. Um, Joshua came first, and then David came long afterwards. And David is still offering rest, right? God through David is still offering rest. So today is an opportunity. Today is an opportunity to enter into God's rest, to, to cease from all of this craziness, from all of this stuff, and to enter into God's rest, to taste this now so that you can have the fulfillment for it later. David, much, much later, he said that there is this opportunity to enter God's rest, but some didn't because of disobedience. They hardened their hearts against God. They were the people who, because of their pride, they hardened their hearts against God, like the kings did in our story today. We strive to enter by obedience, not, not obedience to, oh, look, God, look what I'm doing. But instead, uh, an obedience that says, hey, God, I see who you are. I see what you've commanded me to do. And by faith, I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to respond to that. We will not fail because of this other kind of disobedience. That disobedience, as I said, is the hardening of the heart. So today is an opportunity, an opportunity to do what? To respond to God. And he helps us. He helps us in this. He initiates this love relationship. Instead of spurning him, we can turn to him. And he uses things in our lives to speak to us and to help us understand who he is. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, this hardness of heart. Look at verse 12 now. What's one thing that he uses to help us? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What, what, is, what does God use? He uses the word of God to pierce us, to, to drive right into the very core of who we are and split apart and discern things, to show us things, reveal to us things that we didn't even know about ourselves, to even discern the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. 
Even the parts that we never could have divided up, God uses the word to expose. And not just his word, but also his um, all-knowing nature. Look at verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Nobody gets away with anything. That's what he's saying. Okay, so if God uses his word to cut us and to shave off and pull out parts that don't belong, and he, lets, he reminds us that, hey, I see you, and you're going to have to give an account. People are like, uh, boy, that's a real opportunity. Sure, great. Not sure I want to be a part of that kind of God. Listen, the fact that God uses his word to pierce us and to open us up and remind us that he sees everything, that's actually a gift, but that's not all of who God is. Look at verse 14. Yeah. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let's hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So just to be clear, everything that you've gone through this week, Jesus knows. He not only knows about it, but he himself has been something through something just like it. No matter your response, godly or ungodly, Jesus has walked that path before and he's succeeded. And so he's not looking at you and all your weakness. When that word of God pierces you and when you get laid open before God and you're like, he's not looking at you going, see, see, shouldn't have done that. He's looking at you going, man, I've been there too. I've been there too. Yet without sin, he says, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. If, if the word pierces you and, and God seeing you causes you to shrivel back, to shrink back from God, just remember there's a great high priest who knows absolutely what you're going through, has been through what you're going through, and looks at you with empathy. And lots and lots and lots. I mean, just a, an abundance of mercy and grace. And you can come to him. You don't come to him by... I mean, you, you come to him by faith. You, you don't come to him by your works. You come to him, uh, just say, hey, God, I'm, I'm coming to you. Here's, I'm bringing all of my junk here. I'm coming to you. Here I am. You don't come to him uh, after you've kind of cleaned up. Oh, God, look, I made my bed and picked up my room. Okay, Jesus, come on in now. No, no, you go to him with all of the junk, all of who you are. However much stuff you've got in your life, you come to him, and you know what he says? There's mercy and grace in time of need. One, one last passage, Matthew 11. <clears throat> come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? What's he say? He'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find, what are you going to find? Rest. You're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're here this morning and your world is anything but easy and light. If you're here this morning and you, you are burdened, and heavy laden and laboring. Jesus says, come to me. Maybe you're laboring under your sin and your shame. Jesus is a savior who will take that. Maybe you're laboring under something else, some condition or some issue, some thing that's got itself wrapped around you. Jesus is in the business of liberating people. Maybe you're um, carrying a a, a burden, a a thing, a a situation you're carrying around because you're not sure what to do with it. Jesus says, cast all your anxiety upon me because I care for you. 
whatever it is. You come to him. You don't have to clean yourself up. You come to him, and what you will find is you will find rest for your souls. I'm going to pray, and we'll have some time to respond. Uh, Father, would you, by your word, speak to us still in these moments, and by your spirit, take and apply these things. Push them down into us, uh, and don't let us up, God. Don't let us up. There are <clears throat> God, there are people here who are labored and are heavy laden. Whatever the situation is, Father, I pray that they would come to you as they are. And you would help them to see that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Continue to speak, Holy Spirit. Do what you want to do with us. Work us over where we need to be worked over. And for some of us, let it be salve. Um, For some of us, let it be a piercing so that we'll get rid of what we need to get rid of. I ask all of this in Christ's name.